listening to the Seven Rivers Student Ministry Podcast, a ministry of Seven Rivers Church in Citrus County, Florida. Here at SRSM, we believe that all students are lovable through a relationship with Jesus. Visit our website at sevenrivers.org backslash students. Um, he's still here to serve you also. It's pretty awesome. Mikey had to come record me. Um, how are we doing? How is everyone's week? Great. One announcement I don't think we said is next week we do not have youth group. Um, so just wanted to remind y'all of that. I know. What the heck? Uh, but we'll be back February 8th. Um, but with that, we're finishing up our series on Titus. Um, and throughout this series through Titus, we have thought about what the world has to offer um, to us in comparison to what Christ has to offer. We've looked at how the gospel can actually transform your life and give you hope. And now that God can do those things, right? He changes us. He makes us new. What's next? Right? Paul finishes this book by pressing Titus um, to instruct the people on how to live out their faith. Um, He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, we're going to spend... The time in chapter 3 when I touch on the verses, but I'm going to go some different places. Um, But he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Um, And that's the part we're going to talk about mainly is, uh, what does it mean to be ready for every good work? How is God going to use us for his kingdom? Right? How will the world know what it looks like to actually follow Jesus? There's a God that is offering himself to you, and he completely changes you, right? That's what we've been harping on, and he is giving you the opportunity to make him known to others. Okay, so let's start here. I want you to imagine, okay, that there's a rope that's stretching all the way across the room. You see it? Can you all see the rope? It's touching that wall. It's touching that wall. Okay? Now I want you all to imagine that it's going all the way to Tampa, okay, like airport, it's like tied on to one of the wings. Okay, and then the other one's going to the Ocala airport. Not as nice, um, but it's tied on to one. Okay, y'all see how big that rope is? Okay, now imagine this one's going all the way to the North Pole to Santa Claus. Okay, and this one's going all the way to the South Pole. Penguin diving in. It's tied to his little foot. Okay, the rope's huge, right? Can y'all picture how big it is? Okay, now imagine it never ending. Okay, it's just looping around the world. North Pole, South Pole, just looping. Um, It actually never ends. That's eternity, right? That's how big eternity is. Um, And it's really scary to think about that that's what um, eternity could actually be, like, visualized as, that it's never-ending thing. Now I want you all to think of if I had a bottle cap in my hand, okay? I should have brought one up here. That would have been good. Um, But imagine I have a bottle cap in my hand, and the rope's right in front of me, and I stick the bottle cap right in the center of it. 
That's our life, right? That's our life in the midst of eternity. The Bible describes it like a vapor, like dew in the morning that quickly vanishes. So this huge rope that's going on, like past Ocala, past all these places, your life is just this bottle cap right in front of us in this room. And if that is how life is in the midst of eternity, we have to think about it, right? We have to think, where am I going to put my time? Where am I going to put my energy? Everything's fleeting if that's what's happening. Everything's leaving. So what will we put our investments in? And I think about a museum when I think of this example. You know, there's people that have spent their whole lives digging up, like, artifacts, collecting all these paintings and all these amazing things. And just imagine if a fire broke out in a museum, right? Everything's gone, right? All this stuff people spent their whole lives finding, researching is gone in a flash. Um, has anyone seen the new Knives Out movie, Glass Onion? Yeah? What do y'all think? Not as good as the first one. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to try to give it away. But a pivotal part is the fact that this guy is like filthy rich, that he can rent the Mona Lisa. Like the actual Mona Lisa, he has it like in the room. And whenever there's just like a like movement or anything, this huge like glass thing slides up and blocks the Mona Lisa from getting damaged at all. Um, and I don't think this is going to ruin the movie. But I have to spoil it. The Mona Lisa gets destroyed, right? It gets destroyed. I'm not telling them how it gets destroyed. But the Mona Lisa gets destroyed. And just like that, one of the most priceless pieces of art is fleeting, right? It's, it's destroyed. It's gone. And what do you all think is not fleeting? What, what stands the test of time is God, right? God's word, God's people. Um, he invites us into something eternal that cannot be destroyed. Hey, Jackson, can you stop talking about that? Thanks. Um, he invites us into something that can't be destroyed. Um, and I'm going to read a passage that Jesus actually teaches on in Matthew 6. I'm for you all really quick about this, but it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So what does it look like to be a part of this kingdom, right? The one that actually never gets destroyed, that's never going to fail. Um, it's the only eternal thing, the only thing that's not fleeting. Uh, what does it look like to be ready for that? And I, um, I don't know if you'll know, I talk about it a lot, but I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, um, and when I moved here, um, there's been a lot of things that have happened in my city um, recently, just a lot of crime and brutality and murder, and it's just really sad. My heart's really sad about it. Um, and something happened with my best friend, Marianne. She's actually been a youth group before. But her church um, in Memphis is called Harvest Church, and the pastor and four elders were actually in a plane crash about two weeks ago, outside of Texas. Um, and everyone died except for the pastor. Um, he's at a hospital in Texas. He's been like, the doctors are doing great. He's um, able to write, right? He's, he's awake. Um, they were able to fix his injuries. Um, but it's been really sad. Um, and I, all my friends go to that church, so I've like really felt it on my heart. Um, but from this, 
someone said, death is inevitable for all of us, right? But only those with a foundation in Christ will remain. And my friend, one of my friends that attends this church, um, whose husband's actually my old landlord, uh, worked directly alongside everyone in the plane. So he was on staff with the church. Um, and this is what she said the other day about the event. She said, while we grieve, as a church, I'd say we are also filled with divine anticipation. God took the most horrific event that has ever happened, ever occurred in the history of the world, the crucifixion of the only perfect man to ever live, God's son, and made it into the best thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. Redemption and life eternal for those who claim his name. God makes ugly things beautiful. And I think we're all looking intently to see what God is up to amidst such tragedy. He is worthy. He is good. He will be glorified. That's what this lady said about all of her friends dying in a plane crash. Divine anticipation, looking intently to see what God is up to. How can they even do this? Right? How can they sit ready for every good work, for God to move? It's only because of their investment in the kingdom to come and not this fleeting world that's right in front of us. And the church has been putting like updates like one to three times a day. I'm like constantly checking it um, to see how Kenan's doing. That's the pastor's name. Um, and one of the most recent updates says this about Kenan. I'm going to show you all a picture of Kenan too. He's the first guy. Um, but that's Kenan. He's had a big impact on my life. He's one of the best preachers I've ever heard teach. Um, and a big impact on a lot of um, my friends. But... This is what the church posted the other day about Kenan. We are praising the Lord that Kenan had another restful night last night. Kenan watched all of Jamie's sermon. That's one of the pastors. Um, this happened like in the middle of the week, so they still had church on Sunday. Um, and the pastor preached a beautiful message. Um, but Jamie's sermon last night, it was so encouraged by the message. Kenan has a new physician's assistant who has been extremely sweet and gracious toward him and Catherine. That's his wife. The doctors, nurses, and other treating physicians have all been impacted by Christ shining through Kenan and Catherine, making clear what we already knew. Regardless of his circumstances, Kenan is an ambassador of the hope of Christ. No matter the circumstance, right, we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. And it says it in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So when we look at being ready for God, like in every good work, right? We're ready for every good work. This is talking to you, right? As an ambassador for Christ, you're called to be ready. Not just Ray Cortez on Sunday or Brandon or us as a youth staff or the volunteers. And not just Kenan, who's been a light to the doctors around him in the community of Memphis. We're all called to be on mission for the kingdom. And as Christians, I think we often see service in terms of like, what programs and ministries we're involved in. So I know a lot of y'all serve with children's ministry or you work um, Camp Seven Rivers over the summer, go on a mission trip, other things like that. But if we really think about it, God never envisioned service to be compartmentalized, right? When he formed us and commanded us to bear fruit, he did not only have in mind those like few opportunities that are arising in church, um, he had our entire lives in mind, right? Our jobs, our relationships, our family, our hobbies, our shopping, the true entirety of our lives. God made us to serve so many people in so many ways that no church or ministry or youth group could ever give you 
enough opportunities, right? So if I look back at the verse in Titus, um, chapter 3, verse 1, it says to be ready for every good work. And Paul is not saying to be ready for, like, the sign-up sheep to be passed around or for your church to offer you, like, double service hours. You know, we'd be doing that, but he doesn't, like, that's not what he's waiting on. Um, he's saying that you need to be ready and willing to serve whenever and however the opportunity arises. And this may happen during play practice when one of your friends admits he's struggling with his faith. It happens when we notice our friend, like, really needs something um, that they just can't do by themselves. Anytime our abilities and gifts encounter the needs of others is a chance to do good works. We have chances every day to serve God and make an impact on others. So are we ready for it? So why is it important that we be ready for every good work? Why is it our responsibility to be ready to work instead of the pastors in the church, the missionaries, the church leaders? And Paul answers this at the end of the letter in verse 14. He says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Paul reminds us here of a couple things. Um, first is there are urgent needs all around us that need to be met uh, with the love of Christ. We see it all over our county, right? Broken people, broken situations, um, and we have resources, right, to help them. And Second is, each and every one of us is commanded to bear fruit in our lives. And we bear fruit by meeting the needs we encounter with the love of God, right? That's what Christ was doing. He was telling people about God, right? He was telling people about his Father, but he was also meeting everything they need. And bearing fruit is not insignificant, because when fruit is born, it means that lives are actually being changed and saved. Fruit is the way we see God working through someone. And the Lord commands us to love and care for each other. And he makes it clear in scripture that by this, by us loving and caring for each other, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's what I've seen so much happen with this church in Memphis, um, how they've loved each other, how other churches all over the world have come around them and loved them. Um, it's really just shown a light of who Christ is. And this commandment like feeds off the idea of loving God with your whole self um, and loving others as yourself, right? We need to step out of our comfort zone and make Christ known to others um, despite what we get out of it, right? Despite what um, God's offering us. He's not offering anything for your righteousness, for your good works. Um, he already did the good work for you. It's just the joy that you get to walk into it. And God is walking us into good works. He prepares them beforehand and allows us to step into them. Will you walk into them ready to make him known. See, we have chances every day to make an impact, to bear fruit, even in our death. Right In this book of the Bible, we have been talking about, Paul is writing to his dear friend um, and brother in the faith, Titus. He is calling him to have an impact on the world through the way he lives, the way he loves Christ. And Kenan's Titus was Bill. Um, you can show the other picture. This is Bill. Um, he's one of the men that died in the plane crash. Um, he was the executive pastor of this church, so that'd be like if Adam Jones died in a plane crash. Um, working directly alongside Kenan every day to minister to people. Bill's funeral was last Saturday, and um, Kenan was actually able to write some words for his funeral, um, so I just wanted to read those um, to y'all, um, what he said at the memorial service. Okay. 
This was one of the most painful moments of my life, but it was not endured alone. As with almost every other transforming moment in the last 15 years, Bill was there. It is the Lord that makes the moment transformative, and it is people that receive the blessing where they are. In this case, it was no different. The blessing was for me, and the gift was from the Lord through Bill. Sometimes it's not a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes it's not a word spoken at all. Sometimes it's being present through the most speechless moments. When it became apparent to me, that's this Kenan talking again, to Bill and to a few others on the plane that we were indeed going to crash, I saw the look on his face. His face gave me all the words I needed. It was calloused over a bit, but still covered in warmth. His face has been through the past, but knows how to keep going. His face knows a hope that lies in the future where he will get to look onto the face of Christ, where his faith becomes sight. There's a lot that goes into a face, a subtle glance with profound wisdom and a knowledge of the past, a hope in the future. I've seen all Bill's looks. I've stared at all his faces. And in his last face, he didn't need any words. Everything he knew and believed, everyone he loved so deeply, and his hope in the glory of Christ was right there on display. And even in death, there was a great contentment on his face. I will miss him more than any words can say, but I will carry his faces, and most preciously, his last face with me, as long as I live until the end. Guys, what story does your face share, people? What will people hold on to about you after you're long gone? How will you invest your life? Right? Guys, please weigh the cost of investing your life in Christ and the investment Bill chose to make with his life. Is seeing the face of Christ worth your whole life to you? Guys, my, my mouth gets dry after talking for so long. Um, if it is worth it, guys, if you're sitting here like, oh, yeah, that is worth it um, to invest everything into the giant rope instead of this small bottle cap, it calls us to action, right? It calls an answer from us. Are we going to accept him or are we not? Um, and if we have, will you share him with the people around you, right? Will you share um, the goodness of God and what he's done for you? What would it look like for you to start giving space for God to move? Opportunities for you to step in and allow God to work through you. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we can go to small groups. Okay, Heavenly Father, I um, just pray for Memphis. I pray for Harvest Church, and um, I pray for Kenan. I pray that you would just continue to sustain um, his body, and um, this fever that he's developed today would go away. Um, Lord, I pray and just for the congregation. Um, just feel surrounded by you and surrounded by the saints um, who are praying for them. Um, Lord, I pray um, just for ourselves. I pray that this story, um, this brokenness, um, God would change our hearts and um, really impact us. And uh, we would really question, um, God, where we're at with you. And um, God, if you're worth um, following, if you're worth our lives. Um, Lord, um, be with us today. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Hey, guys, we can break up into small groups. I think everyone knows where they're going.